Hello? Hey, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, and let's just give a warm welcome. We're a one church that gets to do this in all these locations. Can we say hello to everybody at Abingdon and Aberdeen and Edgewood? Mountain Road Online Friends, glad you're with us. So um, it's my first week back after being gone for a while. We, Carl and I just got back a week ago from um, our annual trek to Minnesota, which is kind of our homeland. Why not go there? God lives there. We want to join him once in a while, you know. So we go back, and we just had a fantastic time. Our purpose uh, there, as you can see from some of the, some of the pics, maybe I don't know if we got any pics, but um, it was just a great trip. Uh, we got to spend time with family and reconnect with um, the people that mean so much to us in a place that's very special to us, the church graciously allows us some extra time to be away so that we can rest, read, reflect, kind of revision things for the fall. And uh, we're very, very grateful for that. And uh, uh, some of you asked about my mom. My mom got to go this year, first year without our dad there, so kind of different, but really, really special. And she just thrived and did great. And Except for one little minor episode where I actually spent my first night in a hospital because of muscle spasms in my back. It was awesome. And, uh, but even that, God used that, and I'll tell you more about that some other time. But um, one of the coolest things about coming home to a place like Mountain is that we just had an amazing summer at Mountain, and we literally did not miss a beat. In fact, we, everything just was beautiful and thrived and flourished. We're growing, and we had more kids and students participating in stuff, more people in groups than we ever have had in the history of the church. Just like really, really cool. I need to be gone more. Uh, really, it's just, it's just so, so great to see. And if you're new around here, my name is Ben. I work here. And you need to know God's leading this church to do something really cool. And it's powered by a bunch of difference makers who just throw in and say, let's see where God takes us. And this fall is going to be off the chain, really important. I can't wait. So let's get started with what we got to talk about right now. And that is that we've been, we've been focusing on um, some of the wisdom of God from a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. And a lot of it is just built around these sort of like, this, uh, this truth, these fundamental principles, like gravity, they can't be controverted. And that is that there are lots of, there are at least two different primary ways to look at life. One is a way that may seem right to us, but really in the end leads to a really a path of destruction and your life just won't work. But there is a way to make life work, and that is to trust that God actually knows what he's talking about. That when he speaks into our lives about relationships, when he speaks into our lives about finances, about sex, about temptation, desire, and all these things we've looked at and many more, that we think, well, maybe God does know. And with a sense of trust in his goodness and provision for us, we go with it. And over time, we learn that Oh my goodness, when I submit all my ways to the Lord, he really does direct my paths in a better way. And it sets us up for a life with Jesus, and, and that's what we've been doing. And we've looked at all those kind of topics, and today we want to talk about something. I'm just going to use the word, marriage. Marriage. And when, when we say the word marriage, immediately, every one of us has, there's a range of emotions all over our campuses, everybody listening online, we've all got some emotions, because for some of us, there's a, there's a lively and fresh energy around that word, maybe because of what we're experiencing or anticipate experiencing, and it's a very positive word, and for many others of us, it's sort of meh, like, yeah, I remember when I used to feel that way. And for many others of us, it's a word that brings out, there are broken hearts right now about that word and what it has meant for you. There are empty people. There are 
dashed hopes and dreams and all kinds of pain even around this and some who've actually lost hope because of a present marriage or a past marriage. So we recognize all that going in. We just say, Lord, will you just kind of meet each one of us with the truth of these principles, wherever we may be. Someone who is sort of like, I think I might like to be married someday, or I hate marriage, I'm never going to get married, or I used to be married, I'll never do that again, or I used to be, but I wish I could, or I am, but I wish I wasn't, or I am, but I wish it was better, or this is actually pretty good, I wonder when the shoe will drop. Whatever your thinking is on marriage, we're all over the map, but can we just invite God to come and, and speak to us? And I want to say a couple other things, and that is that too often I think Christians have actually kind of conveyed that marriage is sort of the end all, you know, the end all and be all, the ultimate pinnacle of life. And sometimes implied it's kind of like the the goal of spiritual life is to get married and that somehow you're more complete and full if you do. And it's simply not true and not the case. And it's not the biblical model at all. Of course, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was single and said, if, you, if I were you, I'd stay single. It can be better off for you in a lot of ways, he said. And Jesus himself, the example of what it means to be fully human, who experienced the depth of intimacy in all the ways that life is about, wasn't married. And so we, we got to just remember all of that. The obvious truth is that a huge percentage of this church reflects what's happening in our own society, and that is that vast numbers of us aren't married. Okay, it's just, let's be honest about that and, and acknowledge that, of course. Not married or are not married anymore. And so we got to stop pretending that the goal of normal Christian life is that everybody get married. It's not the case in the Bible. It's not the case today. At the same time, we're not going to apologize for just coming out and saying, you know, this is what the Bible says about marriage. And because the fact that so many are hurting and need help, because the fact that some of us are trying to build a marriage on principles that actually don't square with God's wisdom and we're heading for a crash in that way. So we hope to bring some biblical wisdom, some help, some counsel, some comfort maybe, some change of direction, an opportunity for repentance for what God has for this beautiful thing that he calls marriage. We need to also remind ourselves, before we jump in on some of the Old Testament stuff, about what the New Testament says about marriage, and it has a lot to say, but it reminds us of something that lies behind all the Proverbs teaching, and that is that from the beginning, God intended, when God invented the putting of a man and a woman together, is that it would be a sort of reflection of his own love for us. In fact, Paul makes this very clear. We won't talk about it now. It's coming later. But Ephesians chapter 5 in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, reminds us that the relationship of a marriage is really meant to be a picture of God's incredible, unconditional, sacrificial, supportive love for us. That when a husband and a wife love each other in that way, it's, it's really just meant to be one of the many signposts that the world can look at to get a taste and a flavor of how amazing God's love is for us, who sees all of our flaws and yet loves us still. It's crazy. So that's lying behind the truth of marriage. Maybe one of the reasons some people in our society aren't so crazy about Christianity or the church is because they've not seen maybe some of the examples of the beautiful marriage that the Bible describes and calls us to. 
So there's a lot for us here. And if you're single, listen in, because most of this is actually talking to you. And if you're married, listen in, because most of this is talking to you. Now, one of the things that we can say from Proverbs, and I'm just going to kind of pluck a few verses. We could talk a long, long time about all the different stuff that Proverbs has to say. I want to kind of walk you through a couple different assumptions that it says, and then we're going to get practical with some stuff that has helped Carla and me, and then a cool thing I think we'll do at the end. So um, let me just jump in and, and say one of the things that that the Proverbs wants to say to a culture like ours where people are basically down on marriage. I mean, more and more people are like, I'm not sure you need it. It's only a piece of paper. Why would you bother? Let's just, you know, whatever. And, you know, it, it's discouraging. And more and more young people are like, ah, why bother? So in, in a society like ours where there's some disillusionment and disappointment, even disgust around marriage, Proverbs comes and says, man, there's a, there's a way that God has in mind and marriage is good. Marriage is something that existed before sin entered the world. Do you ever think of that? It was there in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. Chapter 3 is when sin enters and kind of bends everything out of, you know, contorts everything in an ugly way. But marriage was there first. And it's good. I love verses like Proverbs 19.14. Here's what it says. A house and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, uh, th this is, um, we have to update this a little bit because the customs of that day and this have changed. We don't have fathers paying dowries. We don't have arranged marriages in our society. The Bible doesn't dictate those kinds of things. Uh, uh, marriage today is two people typically choosing each other. Um, but don't miss the principle here, even though it's kind of talking man and woman. It's saying the marriage custom has changed, but the principle has not. And here it is. First of all, what does the word prudent there mean? Well, it means Kind, good, sensible, wise, the one you want to be with to make a good home. It means a good spouse. And so we might update the verse and say, parents may be able to give you all kinds of inheritance and make you a trust fund baby. And you might have luck if you're wealth if you're lucky, but a good spouse, man, that's only a gift of grace from God. That's what it's saying. It's saying when you find two people who are committed to the ways of God together, there's a grace that comes into that that doesn't make all the problems go away and all their personality flaws vanish, but it, it's something good and beautiful. Your inheritance, well, a father or mother can give that to their kids. And hopefully, you know, you might get something like that. Wonderful, you succeed in life and give you a nice house, lots of money. But that's, that's a blessing. But none of that is worth anything if you're married to a person that isn't wise, good, and you want to be with. A person who doesn't believe that God's ways make sense. A person who's pulling in a different direction on all the fundamental issues in life. You can have the nicest house in the county and add a beach house if you want and all that trust fund money if you want but if you're miserable in your marriage you're miserable a father or mother can't give you happiness that comes from marrying someone who shares that kind of commitment to the lord it's, and when that does come together it's one of life's best blessings a gift from god i keep telling carla <laughs> you know i'm a gift from god just trying to keep it biblical Proverbs 18.22 says, 
The one who has found a good wife has found what goodness is and obtained a delightful gift from the Lord. Look at the message translation. says it this way on the screen. Find a good spouse and you find a good life. And even more, you found the favor of God. That word good, it means virtuous, kind. Find a person like that who has the same godly principles, the same commitment to trusting God's ways in life. Man, I'll tell you what. It's so much better than finding someone that looks good on the outside or has, you know, the, is committed to making a lot of money or being successful in the eyes of their friends. A good spouse is a godly spouse. The principle of marriage is that it works best when it's two people love God first and then each other. In the New Testament, we're kind of introduced to this concept, and I always call it the love triangle, just to raise eyebrows. But as a love triangle taught about in the scripture and it's basically it looks like you know God at the top and spouse spouses on the side and as each are pursuing a relationship with Christ look what happens to each them they, they become closer to each other in fact the closer you and your spouse get to Jesus the closer you can get to each other this is what Ephesians 5 means when it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is your respect for Jesus that will elevate your respect for your partner. It is your love for Jesus and how he has given you grace and forgiveness that will enable you to extend forgiveness to your spouse. It is the fact that you are not looking to your spouse for your validation and to be whole and to, to glab onto them so they can, when you have Jesus and you're pursuing him, you hear him say to you, you are enough, I, you are my child. My relationship with you is enough to make you whole and to fill you. So now out of that, you can serve someone, love someone, think of someone other than yourself in your broken, needy self. And when you pursue Jesus like that and you find your life in him, now you're ready to give in a way a marriage has to be given to in order to thrive. None of us measure up to this perfectly every day. None of us. But the principle's there. For a reason, because truth is truth. And the fact is, as you give yourself to God, you will grow more in your patience. Your marriage needs patience. You will grow more in your joy. Your marriage needs joy. You'll grow more in your ability to give grace, and your marriage needs grace. If you're considering getting married someday, the best advice I can give you is seek someone who's seeking God. Pair up with someone who wants to pair up with God. Walk with someone who wants to walk with God. Pledge your love to someone who has pledged theirs to Christ. It's the best advice I can give you. Now, I, I realize everything I say, someone's going to say, well, wow, you really hurt my feelings. You made me feel bad. I can't cover all the bases. Can you just handle some truth, and then we deal with it in compassionate ways, okay? Don't write me emails on this. All right. When we do that and we commit ourselves fully to the Lord, all kinds of, all kinds of beautiful things come man, I wish I had more time. I could tell you all about, well, let's just, let's, just, let's just look at Proverbs 30. It's too good. Proverbs 30, 18 and 19 says, there's something beautiful and amazing in the world when you look around some things I don't understand. I can't even begin to explain them. They're just so cool. But it's to say, well, for example, I'll, I'll tell you three of them. Like, how about a way an eagle flies in the sky? We got bald eagles right by our cabin. And they come in all the time. And once in a while, they, they swoop around. And Carla's always afraid they're going to swoop down and eat, eat the ducks. But they don't always do that. We kind of watch the dogs sometimes in the yard. But they, they fly around. And, and you, you ever just stare at a bird the way it flies? Like, how in the heck, you know? 
it's beautiful. It's kind of like a mystery. It kind of draws you in. It's like, it's amazing. Or, or you know, I, I love marveling at the way a snake glides on the rock. I don't like snakes, but it's like, how does that work exactly? The, the, it's like a wave. You know, it's like, how does, that, how, does that, how does that slithering even happen? Or the way a huge ship just sails across with just a little breeze and a little rudder, it moves. And it's like, I'll tell you something else that's even more amazing. It's the way of a man with a woman. And it's, remi- it's just reminding us that when you look at life, there are some things that are just like, you just have to sit back and go, Wow, I can't fully explain that exactly, but God sure thought of something awesome when he did that. And that's what the Bible teaches about marriage. How it is that two people come to notice each other and then do that little dance where they flirt and talk and then start sharing things about each other and spend time with each other until they eventually kind of open to each other. Ultimately, in the most intimate of ways, if it can, relationship continues to grow, it's one of, and, and, and this is hinting at the most, the depths of intimacy, and it's the most beautiful, wonderful, tender, wonderful thing in the whole universe when it happens. It's, it's, it's a mystery, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing that someone on this planet could see you at your worst and still say, I still take you. That's crazier than an eagle. It's also a little picture of God's love, which is why it's so mysterious and beautiful. And that's the picture of Christian marriage. So don't fall for the messages in our culture that put so much emphasis on the external appearance. Don't look for the trophy wife. Don't look for the successful husband or the handsome guy. It's about who they are on the inside. Look at what Proverbs 12 says, verse 4. A noble and good wife is her husband's crown, his pride and joy. But a wife who acts shamefully is like a rotten cancer in his bones. Again, written in a time that was written to a culture that thought exclusively about the man and the woman was just sort of attached to the man. But today, to apply the truth of this word is no less powerful to say it is true for both husbands and wives that we can bring honor or disgrace to one another by how we act, by how foolish we are. Runs both ways. A husband or wife who's good and loyal and faithful, hardworking, good reputation in the community, committed spouse, brings honor. Like putting a crown on. When you put a crown on someone, you think, whoa, look at them. And that's what we can do for each other. But an unfaithful, disgracefully acting or shameful behavior is worse than like bone cancer. It hurts you at a deeper level. It'll eat you from the inside out. That's why we don't look for the trophy wife or the handsome husband. It's about who they are, despite what a superficial culture tells us is important. You want to you really shoot the um, superficial culture right in the head? You go to verses. Proverbs is not always very delicate. It's not always said very politically correct. But look at Proverbs 11.22. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Guys, don't put that on the bathroom mirror. Whatever you do. But it's talking about an important principle, isn't it? Don't marry someone who looks good on the outside, but on the inside, Nah. They treat you poorly. They treat other people poorly. They're not the same person in private. Don't do that. It's like, it's like what good is a ring and a, pi- a, pig, a pig snout just going to make that ring all gooky with the food it's eating? And it's, a, a ring is meant to make something attractive look even better. And putting a 
putting a ring in a pig's snout is, is not going to make that pig look beautiful. And if your spouse has amazing social media posts and can do great selfies and is successful in a certain circle, but with you is not that way, or, or, or you know, that, that guy you know, has a, is concealing a heart that's not pure or true, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. This is why we say don't rush, because when you're young, you don't know about infatuation, and you fall in love, and you can't see past the beautiful faces to the hollow heart. So avoid, you know, go for someone you find attractive, absolutely, but avoid a person who is merely handsome or merely beautiful. This is just common sense. Romantic love, our world says, is the most important thing. Like love conquers all. Here's, here's actually an update. Nope, it does not. Not even close. Romance doesn't, love doesn't, love like that. That's just based on feelings and looks and romance and feeling all a flutter every time you're around each other. That lasts for a very, very short while and is not enough to bring you joy and happiness at the end. So this is why so much of the book of Proverbs is written to young people in that culture who were thinking about getting married, which in that case was almost all of them. If it's anyone that's listening to me, here's some good counsel for you. I mean, there's so much here. We could go to Proverbs 21, verse 9. It actually says this. This is, some, this is a wake-up call. It's actually better to live alone outside on the roof of your house than to share a house with a contentious and quarrelsome wife. Hello. We're getting down to it now. And again, the culture then wrote it man and woman that way because a husband was not even responsible. Jesus says, oh, yes, he is. The husband's got a greater job to love like I do. And so today Jesus would update that and he would say, it's better to live alone outside on the roof of your house than to share a house with a contentious and quarrelsome spouse. Our Middle Eastern roofs were flat, you know, they, they, they were just flat. And a lot of times they'd have like a ladder or a stairway on the outside of the house that would go up there. And uh, remember now, this is like a desert climate. So in the day, it's like, poof, it's like Phoenix hot. And at night, it's super cold. And those little rooms, they were not like guest rooms. They were like there in an emergency. You could use it, but they were small. They were cramped. They were exposed, uncomfortable. But you'd better off living there. In the wet, hot, cold, cramped, vulnerable, exposed place than with a, a spouse that you just cannot and will not get along with because they're always starting a fight and you cannot resist and you can't ever work past that. This theme is repeated over and over again in the Bible. It says, be wise. I know, but we have such great relationship with you. We have such great moments, and we overlook the, the other 75%. I think we have to be honest. That I think the wisdom of Proverbs here is that sometimes it's saying that being married isn't the end all and be all. In fact, it's not the thing that will automatically make you happy at all. Talk to any married person. They'll tell you it doesn't work that way. Sometimes being married is worse than not being married. And sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that when you're on the other side waiting and feeling lonely. But if I can be frank with you, as a pastor, I've seen. I've seen people throw away their future and their dreams and their education and their common sense and sometimes their calling and sometimes their faith. Because they just so desperately felt they had to get married. 
And they didn't think wisely about it. They found someone with a pulse that said they liked him. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just trying to shoot straight. When we forget the principles of God's word, there's always consequences. And I always tell can I? all right, I'm going off script. Can I just tell you what I tell my kids all the time? You know what? Any idiot can get married. It's not hard to get married. Sometimes we think it is. We think no one will ever like me. No one will ever come to me. But you know what? Anybody can get someone to marry you. What's harder is to experience the beauty and the joy that the Bible describes. To stay married to a person through thick and thin when you're both committed in these prudent ways. Now that's different. So yeah, we have to sacrifice some things to get married. But if you make marriage your ultimate goal in life, and you want it so badly, the only thing you care about, that you'll sacrifice everything, including common sense and good wisdom, it's not a good idea. And I know there are many marriages that I'm probably talking to right now that probably made some ill-advised decisions, and God came in, and he blessed that, and you've grown, and your life is wonderful today. But you would also agree with me as we, ta- as we encourage others con- contemplating marriage that those most happy endings don't come from shaky beginnings. And the fairy tale ending doesn't always come. And the biggest thing is, some are thinking, I just, and again, I don't want to offend anyone, but we're talking about it. So let me just say, if you're thinking of marrying someone who doesn't share f- your faith in God, or a desire to put God first, not saying, you know, just, just if you, you think you're lonely now, the loneliness after you marry someone can be even more intense because the things you are drawn to that person for, for deep connection, sometimes you can't find because you're heading in different directions. And the New Testament would echo this truth by reminding us not to be unequally yoked. This is grace, whether it feels like it or not, to you that I'm giving you. And in case there's somebody who's like, you know, a lot of those verses, I don't like the way they pick on women. It's like, well, guess what? Proverbs is an equal opportunity offender. In fact, almost the rest of the book of Proverbs is written to a young man or to any man and is plenty to say about what kind of man you're not looking for, for example, like Proverbs 27.8. It says, don't look for a bird brain guy. It says, like a bird that wanders from its nest, so is a person who wanders from home. What is, what is it saying? Don't marry a bird brain. That's what it's saying. Some guy doesn't know to go home at the end of the day. Some guy that doesn't put family first. Some guy that always has to stop off for a drink. Some guy that has hobbies and friends and things that just doesn't remember where his nest is. Don't look for the signs. Unmarried ladies, there's plenty in the book of Proverbs that speaks directly in, in a way to men as well. And it actually applies to men and women. But don't marry someone who's violent, it says, or who's lazy, or who won't take a rebuke, or who thinks he knows everything, or who won't take counsel, or who can't control his temper, or his appetites, or his words, or isn't committed to the path of God. Marriage is a gift, okay? And if you are not married contemplating it, hold that ideal out there. Not too idealistic, no one's perfect, but don't put too much idealism on marriage so that you think it's going to be the end all. It's not. It might be, might be better not even to be married than to be married in a way that makes your life miserable and shrinks down your ability to do and be what God's calling you to be. 
But if you are going to get married, do it wisely. Follow these principles. Find someone who's linked to God and wants to be linked to you. And if you are married, maybe this will encourage you to remember it's a gift from God. And to apply some of these principles in a way that can shoot life back into your marriage. And if, you're, and if it's broken, your marriage is just not working, there is hope. I'm going to get to that. God can heal you. If you're divorced, it's not the end. You're not alone. You're not a failure. This church is filled with people who are like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but I got a divorce, and now here I am, and look what God has done in my life. There's grace, more grace in God than there is mistakes in our past. And the key all comes down to committing to the commitment, the covenant of marriage as the Bible describes. Let me just leave you with a couple of different things. I'll give you one practical little tool. It's just kind of a freebie, okay, real quick. But as I thought about preparing for the sermon, I remembered how I was talking to my son, who's now been married three or four years, and I was trying to give him sage advice, you know, like the book of Proverbs coming out of my mouth. But I told him what I was doing at that time in our relationship with Carla. And it was so helpful. And then I'm coming to write this sermon now three or four years later. And I'm like, ooh, I kind of forgot about some of that. Yeah, that's how marriage is. Sometimes we're like really on our game. And other times we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're right back. Where we, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, this is not good. So let me, so this is a kind of a wake-up call for me. I'm going to invite anybody who's married particularly to lean in here. Just three simple little things that I just, and it basically goes like this. Every day you got to bring the teas. Well, that sounds racy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, every day bring the teas. Now, I hate to disappoint you, but it's maybe not going to be as what you thought. Um, I actually mean three things that start with the letter T. All right, so here we go. Bring the teas. All right, what's the first T? The first T is thank. Every day, thank your spouse for something. Every day, verbally. Instead of focusing on all of the things that they didn't do, pointing out, being critical, feeling disappointed, discontent, it just builds and leads. Just thank them. Catch them doing something good. Instead of noticing what we're so unhappy about, the things we take for granted. Thank you for grabbing the groceries. Thank you for letting the dog out. Thanks for sending that card on our behalf. Thanks for driving. Thanks for dinner. It's so powerful. It changes our partner at a heart level when we affirm and bring them up and build smiles into them. When we feel appreciated, noticed, and validated through little words of, of seeds of thanks and gratitude, it says someone in the world knows and cares about me, and, and it warms our hearts to each other, and that's why also this first tea is an aphrodisiac, and I'm not kidding. Sex begins in the kitchen, and sometimes with the word thank you. Just that's all I'm going to say about that. Second tea is touch. Touch. Every day provides some meaningful, healthy, life-giving touch to your partner in a way that they value and appreciate. Not you, not so you can get something, so you can give something. It's, touch is powerful. We live in a social media world, virtual world, uh, you know, a FaceTime world, uh, 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 you know, email world, but God gave us bodies with senses and the studies all show what the Bible encourages us to do, and that is to, to greet one another in holy and pure ways. Human connections vital for babies and for kids and teenagers and for spouses. So a healthy hug, a touch on the shoulder, a hug in the kitchen, a kiss on the cheek sends all kinds of stuff happening at the cellular biological level. That's good for us. Scientists are telling us this. 
So maybe now we can do it. It's good for your connection. It doesn't have to be sexual. It just helps build connection. So some couples, they kiss every time they leave in the morning. Or just hold hands while you're driving. A quick little shoulder rub like Carla, and she emphasizes the quick part. (laughs) But it still means something. That 10-second rub is amazing. Whether it's a kiss on the head or a peck on the cheek or a touch of the lobe or a squeeze in the buns, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be sexual to build something in. Every day, you will, I promise you, you thank and you touch and then you talk every day and bring that communication level up beyond surface if you can. It's beyond surface level. Communication is like the heartbeat of a relationship. I asked Carla, what's the most important thing in marriage? She's like, communication. I'm like, I don't get it. What do you mean? I don't understand. But that's the first thing out of her mouth, communication. And, and communication is like that heartbeat. When your heart is beating great and your arteries are clear, you feel good, you have energy, you can do stuff. Your marriage is the same way. When your communication is good, you have energy, you feel good. And when the arteries get clogged through some hurt or cold shoulder or absence or busyness, all kinds of things clog and we go our separate ways and we're doing the kids, we're doing our hobbies and we don't really talk. It's like having a, a marital heart attack or you're... You're right there, and we need a bypass. We need a stent. We need some way to open it back up. And guys, stereotypes are dangerous, but let me just go out there on a limb and say it might start with you listening more without looking at our phones, just listening. How was your day? And when you talk, listen and be ready to talk too. And don't wait till you're not busy because that will never come. How are you going to do that? End of your day. What were you really thankful for today? What were you, you feel sad any time today? What was, was the hardest part of your day? What's God saying to you? These are the things. So thanks, touch, talk. Say, okay, take them off the screen. Take them off the screen. Take them off the screen. What are the three T's? Same with me. One more time. I lied. One more time. Just the guys. Took a little dip there, ladies. That'd be great. Hey, if, if you want some encouragement, we have an amazing class in our church called Courageous Conversations for Couples. I want to put the information on the screen here because this is a tremendous opportunity for a couple that wants to in- strengthen their marriage or if you're unmarried, contemplating marriage. Register for that uh, by simply texting the word love to that number. We'll leave that up for, for a little bit. But it's fantastic. We bring experts in to talk about all the important areas of a relationship and couples that are newlywed, going to get married, or have already been married for some time are finding tremendous help with that. It starts in October. We provide kids care. Hey, at Mount, we provide marriage coaching. We'll help you find a marriage counselor. There are couples groups. So many ways, so you're not alone in what we're about to do. Let me just leave you with what is the absolute key to making marriage work God's way. And it is when two people don't fall for the cultural lie that our marriages are built on romance and our feelings of love for one another. I know every movie in Hollywood, every romance novel you read tells you otherwise. But no beautiful, long-lasting, good marriage is built on that. It has plenty of romance in it, but it's not built on it. Let me tell you what I mean. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. When I got married, my dad, some dads, you know, they pay for the honeymoon. My dad gave me some writings from a German theologian, sent me off with it. 
And one phrase from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that thing that he wrote about marriage is this. It is no longer your love which will sustain your marriage, but it is your marriage which will sustain your love. I have clung to that truth with a death grip more times than I can count. Because our love is dependent on us. It's dependent on my ability to muster up some feelings that I may or may not even have. Or I may feel weak or I'm just not that good of a person, you know? But marriage is this bigger thing. And as unpopular as it is to say today, God designed it as a, can I use the word institution? I mean, it's bigger than us. And when you step into it, it's not dependent on you and the other person sort of holding on to each other because God comes around you with his own covenantal arms and he holds you and he makes of your marriage something that did not exist before and that is something holy, which is sometimes what it takes to hold you when you don't like each other at all and you've got a thousand reasons why you should leave. It is no longer your love which sustains your marriage, thank God, because some days I don't have it and some days neither do you. But that marriage can actually sustain our love and it holds us together until we can act in certain ways that we can then begin to feel what we want to feel. Actually, you know, surveys have shown, longitudinal studies have shown that most marriages are actually happy today and very contented. But there are some that are not. And the two, th listen to this, the studies show longitudinally now Two-thirds of unhappy marriages will actually become happy if they can hang in there for five years or less. Stay and work through it and don't get divorced is data-driven stuff, which means we've got to humble ourselves sometimes and love and care for people that we don't feel like loving and caring. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't wait till he felt like loving you? He stayed on that cross, not because you're so adorable, not because we're so lovely, not because you know, we were betraying him, denying him, forsaking him. And he said, Father, forgive them. He stayed in a picture of what God's love is. And the Bible says that's what marriage is supposed to look like. And so if we just base it on romance or you fulfilling my personal agenda or I feel fulfillment in life or you make me so happy or I like how you make me feel, those are fine things, but build your marriage on it and it will not last. You've got to build it on something bigger, which is commitment in God's covenant where you humbly surrender as two broken people saying, we are not good enough to do this on our own. God, will you help us? That's why we use vows in Christian marriages. We don't always just write our own that say, I love you so much, I got butterflies in my belly. Well, that's wonderful, and I hope you do. But that's not a vow. That's a, that's, that's a sentimental statement. In our vows, we are not saying, I have strong feelings for you. We are not saying in our vows, you make me so happy. I like being with you. You, you complete me. That's all about me and my feelings, which we know will change. Vows are not about our current love for each other at all. And that's not a covenant. Vows are not a declara declaration of present love, but a promise of mutually binding commitment to the future. Our vows don't just say, I'm here for you. They say, I will be there for you in the future. And this is what gives tremendous power beyond our ability, beyond our frustration with one another. You're not celebrating how you feel. 
You're promising that in the future, however you feel and however things change and whatever you look like and whatever happens to us, by God's grace through me, I will do everything I can to be your faithful and loving and true lifelong partner. This is not meant to be a guilt trip for anyone who has the pain and the sting of wanting that so badly and then not being able to, seeing it slip through your hands. You know the heart of this church and how much compassion there is and how ministries like Divorce Care and others will come around you and help you, but we've got to just teach the, the truth of the ideal of the beauty of Christian marriage in a society that is so cynical and giving up. Good Housekeeping magazine surveyed people that had been married a long time and said, what was the key? And the winner of this contest was Dylan and Patty Bays a while back. Here's what they said. Here's what they said. What's the secret to a marriage that lasts? It says, we gave when we wanted to receive. We served when we wanted to feast. We shared when we wanted to keep. We listened when we wanted to talk, and we submitted when we wanted to reign, and we forgave when we wanted to remember, and we stayed when we wanted to leave. My dad passed in May of this year, and as he's on his final days, I walk by the bedroom, and I see my mom in there. I snapped a picture. She's leaning over, whispering, and I step into here, and you know what she's saying? She's saying, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, here I am. Because some young kid who didn't know what they were doing, filled with flaws, stood before a preacher and their family 72 years earlier and said, I'll do everything I can to be there for you. And there she was, right to the end. I hope if you're married today, some of this has encouraged you and inspired you. I hope if you're contemplating marriage, you feel like you've got a better handle on what God is aiming you for. If you have a broken marriage, you'll feel the tender, compassionate touch of God. Can I just, can I just tell you the real reason that Carl and I are still married after 34 years? Can I tell you the real reason? Here it is. I'm going to show you right now. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is the reason right there. I got six keys to marriage, and this is how I'm in the sermon. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Right there. Guys, get to work, and you can find a hottie like I did. That's it. Friends, I'm sorry. Okay, that was gross. Put that phone away. Carla, where's Carla? Is Carla in the house? Come on up here. A lot, I know a lot of you think Carla's perfect. Let me tell you what. She ain't perfect. And I know you're thinking, Ben, with all those muscles and he plays pickleball, he must be amazing. And she's got, that's why she didn't have a microphone tonight. Come here, baby. A long time ago, I said, I'll do my best to be there with and for you. And then the longer we were married, the more flaws we saw in each other. And there were plenty of times when it's easy to focus on that. Like how much is wrong with me and her. And marriage is not two perfect people. We're here. We're Christians, but 
we have all this selfishness and we've said these nasty things to each other and we have to soften and come back together and find the words and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? We have to do all that just like everybody else because that's the only marriage there is. Two flawed people, but the ones that work are ones that say, God is a God of grace. Will you fill me with enough so I can give it to each other so that I'm not looking for beauty, although I got one. I'm looking, I'm looking for the love that covers ugly because I need that and you need that. That's the love of Jesus. And if we can just get a little tiny bit of it and give it to each other, it's enough to hold us together. It's enough to hold you together too. If you're married, may God bless you. May you receive the gift of his spirit to fill you and empower you to do what you can't do on your own, and that is to be a little more like Jesus because that's the best thing for your marriage. If you're not married, I pray that you'll have the wisdom to choose wisely and follow with courage the principles of God's truth. And if your marriage is broken, I pray that you will surrender this community and let us help and hold and heal you until God can repair and restore what the locusts have eaten. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we pray for everyone here today. Help us all to love like Jesus. When we want to go, will you help us stay? When we want to be selfish, will you help us serve? In our hurt, will you help us forgive and be forgiven? In our breach of trust and our deep wounds, will you bring friendship and healing? And, and, and against the wall of stuckness, will you bring hope? And most of all, bring Jesus And for those who are married, Lord, will you just help us to mirror what you have said to us. I take you, everything that you are, for better, worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health, to love and cherish until and beyond death. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.